What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Welcome to Right and Wrong. This is a show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me, as always, is the man in black over there, Producer Juice. They call him the Truth Box, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he's known as on the World Wide Web, because he just spits the truth all day, every day. What kind of truth do you have for my friends out there in the Right and Wrong audience today, Mr. Truth Box? It's really hard to just look at somebody and say, that person's a predator. What you have to do is look at the behaviors and listen to the things that they say. We met before. It's Great. hard to forget those eyes. Look at those Great. eyes. Yeah. Look at them. Can I go with Jesse Very clear warning signs are adults who ignore children's boundaries when it comes to touching, kissing, holding, or tickling. Most adults take those cues and realize, oh, they don't want to be hugged or tickled right now, and that's fine. Sex offenders and predators just plow right through it. Another is sexualizing a child by talking about dating or their bodies in a way that would not be appropriate for their age. How old are you, 17? Oh, six. You're turning 11. You're beautiful. Just remember, no dates to your 30. No dates to your 30 years old. Seeing these behaviors in an adult doesn't mean that adult is a predator or would ever harm a child. But what it does do is it sets that child up to grow up in a world where they view these violations of personal space as normal, and that's unacceptable. Offenders have depended on not only the silence of their victims, but our silence. If we allow children the permission to say no or speak up for them when they can't, we're going to go a long way in preventing so much harm. You gotta love the truth that comes out of this kid's mouth right there. He speaks through the clips, ladies and gentlemen, and they are straight fire every week. Great job, my friend. Keep it up. So on today's show, we are locked and loaded. We got a bunch of good stuff to get to for you today. We're going to talk about how Brittany Griner was traded straight up for a ruthless murdering arms dealer. This lopsided trade has American-hating countries everywhere salivating at the opportunity to exploit our weak president unity for the next two years. That's not hyperbole. It's not a joke. Not a joke. Think about it, guys. It's not the a Supreme joke. Court is hearing oral arguments in a case that could determine if states have the right to force citizens into accepting the regime's new form of speech or not. We also have a clip from the Jesse Waters show. It's his world and we're just living in it. And he goes over the percentages of so-called victim groups in this country. And the numbers are drastically lower than what people think they would be. We also have two Boston public schools in my old neighborhood that are dealing with incidents that remind me of why I am happy I no longer live there. And then Kirk Cameron has been told that he cannot participate in a faith-based story hour at public libraries all across the country. And surprise, surprise, a lot of these libraries also have drag queen story hours. So we'll get into that story as well. And finally, in our come on, man segment of the day, we'll turn our attention to the extremely untalented Boston City Councilor, Julia Mahia. You're not going to want to miss this one. This has been a long time coming for this lady. Well, having said all of that, 
it is about that time in the show where, you guessed it, we get to invite in Mr. Ric Flair because it is showtime, baby. Woo! Showtime! Woo! Woo! There's a fundamental difference in philosophy between the left and the right, the progressives and the conservatives, the children in the room and the adults in the room, if you will. We need to make sure that we understand and talk about that difference in order to succeed at exposing the house of cards that the left has built. So why are we conservatives? What's the thought process and the philosophy behind wanting to conserve a particular way in life? I'd like to point out there that I specifically chose to say way of life because it's not just political like the right has been tricked into believing for many years now. Politics is personal, and it is the way we choose to live together in a community. So, of course, your political views will reflect your personal way of life. This is the reason why a person that calls themselves a devout Catholic cannot also be pro-abortion. For years, the right fell into this trap that there was a such thing as being called a fiscal conservative, but a social liberal, myself included in this category at one point in my life. Calling yourself this was a socially acceptable way to explain your evil Republican voting tendency in deep blue Boston, Massachusetts. Having given that much more thought, I've come to realize that using that term and thinking of conservatism in that way means that we've already lost. You failed to conserve anything, and you've played right into the left's hand. The left has moved so far left in what feels like such a short period of time that it's easy to forget that they've been planting these seeds for years now. They started with baby steps. Everything was presented as, you don't tell me what to do or how to live my life, and I won't tell you what to do or how to live your life either. And that's the bargain that the so-called fiscally conservative but socially liberal types agreed to. They were on board with the old notion of abortion being safe, legal, but rare. They agreed to the idea of what you do in the privacy of your own bedroom is none of my business. Look where that mindset's gotten us. Have we been able to conserve the idea of everyone in America having the opportunity to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Not when we have abortion on demand. Not when we're preventing millions of babies per year from that basic pursuit of life. Have we been able to conserve the idea that our bedrooms should remain private? Certainly not when we reward people with social credit for declaring who they enjoy having sex with. Not when we allow a specific sexual viewpoint to be taught to our children in schools. And definitely not when we allow grown men to dress as female burlesque performers to go read children's books in public libraries. But Brian, we don't feel comfortable telling people what they can and can't do. Well, you know what? The left sure doesn't mind telling you what you must accept and go along with. It's no longer enough to just leave everyone alone. Now you must affirm someone else's sexual desires. You need to affirm their ever-changing identity. You need to accept the redefinition of marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that we haven't even been able to conserve the simple differences between ladies and gentlemen. As conservatives, we are naturally always playing defense. It's not glamorous to defend and to protect things that other people already established before us. There's much more fame and fortune in being the quarterback as opposed to the middle linebacker. 
The left gets to always be on offense, calling audibles at will while we're left chasing them around, clutching and grabbing, hoping not to get flagged for pass interference. What about those people on the left? What's their philosophy? What did they believe in? It's simple. They believe in anarchy. They believe in destruction. They are in a perpetual state of fight and attack. Remember in the movie Independence Day when the president gets the image of everything the alien population has done and plans to do? He says they're like locusts that just move from planet to planet. They drain each planet of their natural resources until there's nothing left, then move on to a new one. The left are like the idealistic locust in our society. They will never be satisfied. They're consumed with the fight, with the chase of future progress, that they never stop and try to actually live in the moment under the new rules that they demand. Once they receive a concession, they're on to the next fight. I started by asking the question about the philosophical differences between the left and the right. I think it's pretty simple. We would like to defend and to protect the things that have made our country great, while the left would rather pretend that we live in an evil and racist country that's designed for only white men to succeed in. It's about time for our side to understand that the best defense is a strong offense. We can't continue to sit back trying to plug holes in the dam. It's about time that we became clearer and more assertive in our message. Conservatives need to realize that we do get to decide what things are right and what things are wrong. We are already telling each other what to do and what not to do with the laws we have in place. We have standards and norms, and we must conserve them. We have come to a point in time that we, as the conservatives, need to understand that we can defend our positions with morality. The left calls you bigoted, racist, and immoral. They have no problem shoving their twisted form of morality down our throats. Our country was founded by and created for only a religious and moral people. We must remember that and stop sitting around shrugging our shoulders and saying, You do you, man. Okay, so it's about that time that we jump into the rights and wrongs of the week. We got about a handful of stories to get to today, but before I do that, I would like to remind you out there, everybody, please give us a five star review and follow us wherever you're listening to us. That stuff really, really helps. Um, we have an unlocked algorithm now, thanks to Elon Musk. If you share us on Twitter, and uh, that stuff, you know, goes a long way. So help us grow this show. We're trying to get um, our voices heard, and uh, we can't do it without you. So please, please, please help share the show. So let's get to our uh, first story of the day. This one here, it's going to be the story that is a case in front of the Supreme Court right now that involves a um, web designer in the state of Colorado. The woman who owns and operates a small web designing business where she specializes in designing sites for weddings She's trying to ensure that the state of Colorado will not force her to design sites for um, so-called gay weddings. A lot of the arguments that you're hearing about this case from the left, they involve, you know, trying to compare being gay to, um, you know, race type of discrimination. And personally, I just think it is way off. You know, you can look at somebody and see that they are black, Asian, Spanish, anything like that, Latinx, 
or Latinx, if that's what they'd prefer to be called. Um, but that's a visual cue. You can look at someone visually and it's just going to tell you the color of their skin and that's it. So to discriminate somebody based on that is ridiculous. And it's a good thing that we don't have that in our world, in our society here, in our country. I'm glad we removed that type of discrimination. Now, when you try to compare that, like Judge Jackson did in her questioning of the Colorado, I mean, of the web designers, lawyers, when you try to make that comparison, it just doesn't quite fit. So Judge Jackson's point was, um, would you be able to discriminate against a black family who wants to take photos by a photographer who specializes in It's a Wonderful Life themed photos and they get turned down because all the actors in It's a Wonderful Life were white. To that, I say, Judge Jackson, first of all, you're forgetting about um, about the Bailey's maid there who is a sassy, funny black lady. Well, Annie, why, why don't you draw up a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you could hear everything that's going on. I would if I thought I'd hear anything worth listening to. You would. Great, great role. Great character. So there was a black person in It's a Wonderful Life. So, you know, make sure you get that right next time. Remember at the end, she comes in, gives George her money, puts it on the table and says, I've been saving this money for a divorce case. And I ever get myself a husband. Oh, it's awesome. One of the best lines in the whole film. And she she gets them when they're uh, talking about their dad too. When when George tells his dad that he's 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 a swell guy, she says somebody b- b- might have said it, something like that. So, Judge Jackson, there is a great great black character in It's a Wonderful Life. Sorry, I digress. You can tell this stuff gets to me, <laughs> but the point is ridiculous because. You can't look at somebody and just determine that they're gay and refuse service for that. Um, Now, when we say like, oh, someone's discriminated against for being gay, I'm sure an image gets painted in your head. I'm sure you start to, you know, perceive the person as maybe, um, you know, flamboyant or dressed a certain way. Um, You know, there's an image of, of... of what a stereotypical like lesbian might look like, um, you know, female with the with the short boys type of haircut, um, dressed masculine, you know, but that means nothing. It doesn't mean that that person is gay or lesbian if they look like that. Um, that could just be the way somebody's dressed, the way someone acts. There's no way to determine that because, you know. The act of being gay, the act of being a lesbian, that's done in the privacy of your own home as much as the left would like to make that act done out in the public square. So you can walk around and the only way that a web designer like this is going to know that you're gay is if you specifically ask her to make a website for your gay wedding. If a black person says, I would like a website for my black wedding, she's going to be like, "Uh, okay, sure, no problem. Because she's not trying to discriminate based on 
any evil motives. She's literally trying to defend her religious right to not participate in a marriage that she does not believe is a marriage. And that's the problem with the left's redefinition of all these terms. It's like we're, we're in the same country speaking English, but speaking two separate languages. So again, we circle back to this a lot on this show, but marriage is the union between a man and a woman for the purposes of creating a family, having children and bettering your community. If two guys want to, want to, you know, live their lives together and whatever, make it official, civil union is what that would be, or whatever else you may call it. It's fine. They can do that if they want. I don't, I personally don't care, but what you can't get me to agree to is to actually refer to that as marriage the same way a heterosexual marriage in, in marriage throughout human history has been known. It's just two separate things, and that's fine. I mean, the left loves considering themselves different, special, unique, yet at the end of the day, they want to just be the same as everybody else. So what way do you want to have it? You know, it's like the person who has purple hair wants everyone to treat them completely the same and um, show them the same respect you would show someone who's dignified and dressed professionally or looks professional, looks mature and looks like an adult. But the adult with purple hair wants to be unique and out there with their purple hair and, you know, considered a rebel, but also wants to be considered, you know, given the same, you know, respect, dignity and standing as somebody who, you know, carries themselves a little bit more dignified than that. So it's fine. Again, if you want to have purple hair and you want to go around like that, that's fine. But the ramifications of that are people aren't going to take you as serious if you're a grown adult who does that. That's just that. That's it. It is what it is. I don't mean to be harsh, but that's what it is. And at the end of the day, these arguments about when the left tries to compare homosexuality and race in the same class, it's just ridiculous because one thing you have control over and one thing you don't have control over, you have control over how you carry yourself, how you act and how you, what type of information you share with others. You can be as gay as you want, but why do I have to know that you're gay? You, who cares? Again, like, I don't really care if you are or not, but if you're walking around at the pride parade and assless chaps with just a little, little, you know, star over your nipples, then you're kind of telling everybody and telling the world that you're gay and everyone wants to, you know, it's the pride parade. So you get to be out loud and proud about it when it's just like, I don't really care. Nobody else cares. Stop shoving it down everybody's throats. Just be you just walk, walk, walk around, whatever, just function in society. Your life doesn't have to revolve around who you have sex with. And you're the one putting that out there on display for everybody. You're the one pushing that down everybody's throats. Now, if somebody's black, they can't control that. That's, that's how they're born. That's just what they are. So it's not the same thing as 
acting out the characteristics of your sexual fantasies or your sexual desires out in public. I, I hate that argument by Judge Jackson, and it's if that type of argument wins, there's never going to be any way to determine anything in the world. It's all going to be super subjective, and that's the way the left wants it anyway. So it's no wonder that's the path they're going down. Next. Hey, look, mister. We save hard drinks in here for men who want to get drunk fast, and we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. Is that clear? Or do I have to slip you my lift for a convincer? So, you guys have all heard already now the uh, worst trade in American hostage negotiation history. Brittany Griner was traded straight up for um, the Merchant of Death, a arms dealer who, you know, Russia really, really, really wanted back. They were able to trade him for a pot-smoking, American-hating, self-loathing, WNBA basketball player. And this one is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Everybody, obviously, you've heard of um, Waylon, the um, Marine that was left behind because the Biden administration decided that it was more valuable for them to get the black lesbian basketball player who hates their country as opposed to the um, former Marine spy or whatever. I don't think, you know, whatever it is, what it is on either of them. I would want both of them to come home. They're both Americans. So obviously we'd want them to come home. But the reason why this one's so harmful is this just signals to the rest of the world that you can grab any American that's in your country for the, the smallest of crimes and just hold them because Biden's going to give in. He's going to cave. And the more famous you are, the more progressive you are, the more intersectionality you have, the more valuable you are to America and to our press. So they're going to be able to use you to get out these vicious, nasty terrorists. And that's a scary thing. I believe, actually, Juice might have might have been able to find a copy of um, the phone call between Biden and uh, Putin for the negotiations. So uh, I think he might have that still. Juice, do you have that? All right. Why, why don't you let everybody know what that sounded like? Hello? Hello? Who's this? What? You called me. Kamala? Uh, Biden's. This is Putin. Hey, Poot, man, I was calling you because, hey, man, listen, man, you got Brittany Griner in jail over there. We want her back, man. Come on, man. I'll give you Griner, but you must give me Victor Bout. Come on, man. You want a guy that was caught selling missiles, missiles to kill American troops, man. No Victor, no deal. Okay, listen, Poot, if you're not going to give us back Brittany Griner, stop calling. You called me. You're losing your mind, Joe. I'm not losing my mind. Listen, man, I want to tell you like my daddy told me, big dogs might have big barks. When I was a kid, I remember I used to smell bacon and eggs cooking and run downstairs in my pajamas, man, and we would eat lasagna. And by the way, look, you can thin out any with enough piss. Hello? Hello? You kids better start prank calling me. <laughs> I bet that was pretty similar to what it sounded like. Uh, that was a good find, Juice Box. I think he he got that from the uh, from the guys that that have uh, that that are called Riot Comedy on the uh, on the Insta web there, or the or the Talk Tick or the uh, Twitter machine, or something like that. But yeah, they uh, they put that together, Riot Comedy. 
So good work out there, guys, and good work scouring the web juice. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, what are we doing here? Why? I told you a long time ago um, my thoughts on the Griner situation when this was all going down. But the thing that's aggravating is seeing, like, tools like that Anthony Blinken on Twitter saying something about, it's good that we got an American who is illegally detained uh, and brought home. And to that, I say she was not illegally detained. She wasn't. I mean, we could disagree with the charges that were given to her. Absolutely. That That's something that we don't think is a big deal whatsoever, having, having you know, marijuana oil on you. Um, but Russia is not America. They have the right to make their own laws and rules. And according to the Russian law, she broke the law there. And she should be smart enough to not bring that stuff into a foreign country instead of thinking that she can do whatever she wants. But she broke the law in Russia. She went through a trial in Russia and she was found guilty in a Russian court for her crimes. So she was not illegally detained. We, we could sit here and talk about, you know, is that a ridiculous law they have? Sure. But you know what? We still have like jaywalking in this country. We still have laws about spitting in public. We we have some crazy laws too. We just don't enforce them. Hell, if you live in Los Angeles or New York or something, you could pretty much assault somebody. Maybe even um, you know, commit commit like second degree murder, and they won't even press charges on you. So we we don't enforce laws in our country. Russia clearly does in theirs. And I'm not stupid. Like, obviously, they knew what they were doing. They grabbed her because they knew they'd be able to use her as a valuable trade chip like this. But she's still to blame for being the idiot who would come and break the law in a foreign country and put herself in a position to get held as a hostage. And furthermore, she's been traveling to Russia, happy to take millions of dollars from a Russian oligarch who owns a Russian basketball team. She provides a service in a country that is run by a dictator that we hate, that is invading the Ukraine right now. Like, why is she doing business in that country? She shouldn't be. So she knew what she was doing. She was getting millions of dollars for it, and she got put in the position that she got put in because she put herself in that position. She's a moron. And it's ridiculous that we would trade a terrorist arms dealer for for her, who she's a woman who doesn't even respect our own country, nails for the national anthem. She's a joke. And, you know, the sad thing is, now that this whole thing has gone on and it's going to die out, Brittany Griner's 15 minutes of fame are about to run up. And she can go back to being a uh, WNBA star where nobody will ever hear from her again or care what she does. Next. Hello? Hello? You kids better stop prank calling me. All right. So in this story here, the actor Kirk Cameron gets told, you are not welcome by about 50 public schools across the country. I'm sure you guys have also heard about this one already. It's kind of making the rounds, but I'd like to read the headline of this article from the Daily Wire. 
our messaging does not align. Dozens of public libraries reportedly reject Kurt Cameron's story hour over faith-based book. This one is ridiculous. So in the article, it says the actor Kurt Cameron has a proposed story hour event promoting his latest faith-based book. He's been rejected by 50 public libraries so far, the publisher Brave Books says. According to a Fox News digital report published early Wednesday morning, Cameron's team reached out to dozens of public libraries in the hopes that some would be willing to host an event for his latest book, As We Grow. But at the time of publication, not a single one had returned a yes. And among those rejecting Cameron's event was a public library in Providence, Rhode Island. And this library hosts a recurring program for members of the LGBTQ plus community who are aged 12 or older called Queer Umbrella. Queer Umbrella is billed as a club and safe space where teens can learn, discuss, and connect over queer history, art, community, resources, and more. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Can you guys believe that one? According to the story, Cameron was told by, the, by this library, no, we will pass on having you run a program in our space. We are a very queer-friendly library. Our messaging does not align. You can fill out the form to reserve space to run the program in our space, but we won't run your program. Who's okay with this stuff, people? Why is a man who has a book about faith and living a virtuous, moral life told that he cannot come rent the space in the public library? Public library to read his story to children, but they will allow drag queens to come in and do drag queen story hour. They have a whole queer space for people. 12 years old. 12 and up. 12, 13, 14. What are we doing here, people? That's like, like this This goes back to the whole story that I had about, you know, trying to, to sue the public school system up in Boston. In the comments that I made at the time to the uh, school committee was you're in here having a fifth grade English class read a story about a kid becoming non-binary. Well, what if the English class read a story about a kid finding Jesus Christ? What if the fifth grade English class read a story about a kid that attended the walk for life, the march for life? Would you guys be okay with that? Would you guys allow that in a fifth grade English class or would you be up in arms? And you know the answer. I mean, this story right here, the Cameron story, tells us what they would do. They're not allowing this man to come share his story uh, uh, about faith, morality, and, and religion, and God, and just being a good person. They're not going to allow that because it does not align with the LGBTQ plus Y apostrophe um, ampersand, 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 <laughs> whatever they're not allowing that to fly in their library and that just does not sit well with me at all the people in rhode island should be ashamed of this and i hope there's backlash about this at that library because it is the public's library it's not it doesn't belong to the lgbtq plus community it belongs to the public to that community and unfortunately they're a small percentage of the population that just happen to be loud and vocal. And most people just roll their eyes and don't, you know, give it a thought. They just don't have time for it. But I'm here to tell you, you need to make time for this stuff. Because before you know it, you're not going to be able to do anything. 
um, because it's none of it's going to align with the LGBTQ plus mission or the or the left's progressive viewpoint. So I said it in my open, but morality is being forced on us. It's just what kind of morality are we willing to accept? Do we want to accept the traditional standards and norms that we've always held? Do we want to conserve the morality of our country's founding? Or do we want to adopt a new morality, a new form of righteousness that is all queer-centric, race-related, and victim-mandated? You guys get to choose, but... If we don't speak up, we're going to lose that choice real quick. Next. Next. Speak up. All right. So I saw this clip from the uh, Jesse Waters show. Like I said uh, earlier, it's it's his world and we're living in it. Isn't that the way he closes out his show every week? But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a TikTok clip, but I thought it made a pretty good point. Um, and I, I want you guys to hear this and then... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll kind of break down what he was talking about. So, Juice, you got that one for us? What percentage of the United States is black? Their answer, 41%. We think almost half the U.S. population is African-American. And that makes sense if you consume a lot of media. But it turns out black Americans are a smaller slice of the pie than they thought. The real number, 12%. Only 12% of Americans are African-American. How about Hispanic Americans? The poll shows that we all think that 39% of Americans are Hispanic. Way off again. Only 17% of the population is Hispanic. And it's not just race that we have no idea about. How many families have an annual income of over $500,000? We think 26% of Americans make over a half a million, half a million dollars a year. We think everybody's rich, but really just 1% of the country earns that much. We all make much less than we think. How about left-handed Americans? How many lefties exist? We all had those lefty desks in school. Remember how goofy it felt if you got stuck in one of those? Well, we estimated that 34% of America is left-handed. Sounds reasonable. I mean, each baseball team has a bunch of lefty relievers. But the real number is 11%. This is a right-hander's world, and don't forget it. How about this? How about the number of vegans or vegetarians? Well, Americans think 30% of the country is vegetarian, when really 5% of the population doesn't eat meat, which explains why it's the only thing left on the store shelves right now. Nobody wants it. How much of America's population, you ready, lives in New York City? The estimate was 30%, which would be nearly 100 million people. One third of the country packed into 300 square miles here. That's what we think. The real number, 3%. Just 3% of the country lives here in New York. Ready? How many transgender people do you think live in the United States? The people who took this poll estimated... 21% of our nation's population is transgender. 21%. A quarter of the country is trans. That's what people think. Now, are these news stories starting to make sense? In reality, the number is 1%. 
1% is trans. How about gay people? We spend a lot of time talking about sexual orientation. With all that attention, surely that number must be high. Well, Americans estimated that 30% of their fellow citizens are gay. Wrong again. Wow. And he cut off right at the end there, but it was 3% are gay. So we estimate that 30% of the country are gay, lesbian. It's only 3%. Those numbers should jump off the pages or jump out of the audio system you're listening to us on and smack you in the face for all the focus that we have on the trans community. They make up 1% of the population. We're jumping through hoops, making all these different rules and regulations over 1% of the population? Or again, over 3% of the gay population? How about what he said about minorities? 12% of the country is black. 17% is Hispanic. Those are low numbers, people. And they get a disproportionate amount of attention by everybody out there. If you don't have a equal representation of one white guy, one black guy, then you're just racist and, and bigoted. When in reality... Black people are getting unequal treatment based on their amount of the population. They're getting a disproportionate amount of attention. So, again, I've said it a bunch in this segment here, or in this little, in our rights and wrongs, but what are we doing here, people? Come on now. And that just stood out to me because it tells you what we're forced to believe with the first number. You know, we talk about these things so much, they're shoved down our throats by the mainstream media that we think that, you know, what was it, 37, 40 percent of the country is, you know, black or something, when in reality it was 12 percent. We think that, you know, 30 percent of the country is gay or lesbian, when in reality it was 3 percent. Yet we're constantly accommodating and bending over backwards to create laws and protections and all these, you know, changes to the way of life to, you know, make it work for a tiny percentage of the population where at the end of the day, I'm sorry, like, nope, you need to adjust yourself um, in certain situations. That's just the way it goes. You know, I know earlier in the show, we talked about how race and sexuality are not the same and they're not at all because one's a choice and one's not. But why do we spend so much time talking about this stuff? That is the question. And I just thought that was pretty interesting to see those numbers presented like that. And when you see numbers like that, it also makes you wonder about the prison population and, you know, the murder rate, stuff like that, because you always hear that there's a disproportionate amount of black people in jail or committing crimes when, according to the percentage group, they actually are off the charts for how much crime is being committed by the black community. That's why there's so many black people incarcerated, because they're committing more of the crimes, and they have a smaller number of people in the country, so per person, they're committing way more crimes than the rest of the races in the country. Again, it's a deeper issue. 
I don't think the color of your skin forces you to commit a crime or not. I think it's what it's your upbringing. It's your family structure. It's the, the, you know, the life that you're living that gets you into that. And I think a lot of the times, um, you know, this is a direct reaction to the way that the left has exploited and used the black community in our country. And they've made it next to impossible to, you know, grow up in inner cities um, in an all black neighborhood and not find yourself in trouble. It's these left wing policies that put you in a position setting you up to fail from from the start because they've incentivized the welfare state and they've incentivized single parent households. And to me, that is that's the name of the game right there. You're in bad communities. You're in crime ridden communities without a father in your home and your mother's, you know, working two jobs or you're dependent on the government to take care of you as opposed to your own family that inevitably leads you into feeling like you have no choice and to try and make a living out on the streets. And that's where you're going to get yourself in trouble, then get arrested and then leave a, live a life of perpetual crime. It's a never ending cycle at that point once you get into that system. So that's what's going on with this stuff. So don't let the left trick you into believing that it's just only based on people's race or sexuality. It's not. And those numbers that Waters presented were pretty, pretty eye opening to me. Next. All right. And in this one, we're going to go back up to Boston, Massachusetts, where we got notified. Uh, you know, me and Ashley still get emails from the old uh, school that the kids used to go to, the Kenny Elementary School. And then there's um, another elementary school right around the corner from that in our neighborhood as well called the Murphy School. That's also an elementary school. But each of them had like little incidents that happened this past week. So we got an email from the Kenny School about um, a child having a pocket knife in like on him while they were on a field trip. Teacher found him with a pocket knife. Ladies and gentlemen, this grade go this school goes to sixth grade. It's from K through six. That means the kid's twelve years old tops walking around with a pocket knife at school. Are you kidding me? What are we doing? What's going on here? Where's this kid's parents? Who's letting their kid have a pocket knife at that age? And if they do, and they do have it for like, you know, Cub Scouts, something like that. How is the parent not in possession of that when the kid's not using it with adult supervision? How's the kid bringing it to school? And Ashley showed me that one, and we were like, wow. Thank God our child, our children are not in that school anymore. And the other one was from the Murphy School, where a homeless person was found in the janitor's closet in the middle of the school day just last week, just sleeping hanging out in there, school full of kids, luckily was found by a teacher, but still, imagine that, and the person got into the school because their doors don't lock. The back doors that are that are like behind the school is, you know, a little bit of grass and then a f- big fence and train tracks, so it's a pretty secluded spot back there, and there's a couple of doors. They don't lock. They're broken, and apparently, the BPS, Boston Public School system there, knew about it and were 
told about it a few different times and still didn't fix it. That's good old city government working for you at the at the speed of lightning there. I think Queen Wu would have got that done pretty quickly for her subjects, but nope. She'd rather grandstand and walk around and pose for pictures with um, the new governor, governor-elect Mara Healy. You know, she was a real good basketball player, by the way. Woof. That's just, that sums up Boston for you, the inner city, and just, it, I'm sorry, it's it's where I grew up, it's my home, I'll always have a soft spot for it, but the more and more that these left-wing, nutjob, idealistic politicians take over, the worse and worse things are getting. And it pains me to see people that I'm friends with on Facebook constantly trying to post stuff about, like, community engagement and... You know, the big one going around is stop them from putting a more or less halfway house across the street from where we live. Like, and that stuff aggravates me because it's like this. These are the people you voted for, you morons. They're trying to they're trying to turn a hotel that's a that's a nasty, grubby hotel that I don't think any normal person would want to stay in that I'm sure has tricks being turned and drugs being peddled in there. They're trying to turn that into a, you know, a, a assistance type of home for people that just got out of jail or just got off of drugs and trying to reset their lives. Again, I don't think I would want that specifically near where I live, but I vote Republican all the time. I don't vote for stuff like that. These do-gooder Democrats are voting to go soft on crime. They're voting to go easy on drug addicts and criminals, but when the opportunity comes to help them in your own neighborhood, then they don't want it in their neighborhood. No, no, no. Don't put it there. Do that somewhere else where, where I don't have to deal with it from, you know, day to day. I'll vote to allow that to happen, but you know, don't make me have to deal with it. Huh? The nerve of you people. So that's the stuff that frustrates me. And I think it ties together with this, um, with these stories about the schools, because these two schools are being run by left-wing progressives. The whole system is, and this is what you get when you vote that way, people. So the the outrage about it after the fact is just frustrating because the root cause of it is you do have control over this stuff, um, and you control it in the voting booth. And, you know, you can stomp your feet all you want and try and get a community engagement rally to to you know, try and get it stopped. But the way to really get something like that stopped is to make better decisions when you go to vote. End of the day, that's where it happens, people. Next. Please, you're wasting everyone's time. And that'll do it for the rights and wrongs of the week. Thank you guys so much for enjoying this segment. Uh, and stick around because we have our Come On Man segment of the day coming up next. So I know we just finished up with a Boston story at the end of the rights and wrongs there. So we're just going to stick right there in my old stomping ground and uh, get somebody that I've been dying to give a come on man to for a long time now. She is none other than the very talented, very eloquent Boston City Councilor by the name of Julia Mejia. Oh, yes. She's the one who wears the stupid looking berets all the time that look like they're about to fall off of her head. They're so far to the uh, one side. And she, uh, let me tell you, she really has a way with words. Um, a very, very, very great public speaker. 
very good um, at rallying people, very inspirational when she talks, very clear in her messaging, and, you know, very smooth deliverer of, um, you know, of, of her point, of her message, of her meaning. So she really crushes it all the time. Um, I don't know why I haven't been able to, you know, give her one of these yet, but uh, I can assure you this has been a long time coming. And um, I guess let's hear what she had to say during a city council meeting recently. Juice, you got that clip? I apologizing to you all. For those who have been tuning in and being triggered by the language that we've been using here to describe our loved ones who are suffering. Um, the use of words like addict and crack pipes are harmful uh, to those who have loved ones who are out in the street. So this hearing was titled Humanitarian. And so for the record, what I believe to be one of the principles of humanitarian um, reads, the principles of humanitarian, humanity, neutrality, impartially, and independence are fundamental to humanity, humanitarian action. Excuse, excuse me, Julia. Uh, humana what? Huh? What are you trying to say? Humanity means that human suffering must be addressed wherever it is found, with particular attention to the most vulnerable. I walked into this hearing under the impression that we were going to lead with care and compassion as it relates to the struggle that is happening in these streets. And I stayed here with the hope that we can have a dignified conversation about what it is that we're going to do collectively and hold ourselves accountable, not just the administration, but this council accountable to the debacle. The what? What was that? Was it tobacco? Was it debacle? Debacco? Debacco. What are you trying to say, Julia? We are forgetting to recognize how we continue to further divide people on this issue. Imagine how many people would turn off my show if I spoke like that. We must be here to face our humanitarian, humanian, humanitality is to respect everyone out there. My God, that lady. She's got the speaking skills of a fifth grader and the fashion sense of a blind person. How did that lady get elected into a into a position where her primary function is public speaking and community engagement? How? How does she do it? That was like, I know I used the joke quite a bit, but literally that one should be 
the clip from Billy Madison where the guy's like, we are all now dumber for having listened to that response. That's what I feel like having to, having to listen to that clip. I'm sorry, people. Tobacco? To the tobacco. What is a tobacco? Like, what does she even mean here? It is inhumane to use the word addict for someone that's addicted to drugs and living on the street? It is cruel and harmful to use the word crack pipe for people that use crack pipes to smoke crack? What are we doing here? Like, come on. That's what is happening. I'm sorry. It's not justice to avoid the topic by using different terms to try to make people's feelings feel better. See, now I'm talking like her. Make their feelings feel better. What does that mean? But you know what I mean here. You know what I'm talking about. We don't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She just thinks that that's going to be a way to grandstand and that she's going to, oh, you know, anybody who has dealt with people that deal with drug issues, anybody who has someone in their family that's living out on the streets. Sorry, I don't have anybody living out on the streets in my family. And if I did, I would try to help them. And trying to help them is not lying to them and telling them that they're not an addict when they, in fact, are. I wouldn't help them by lying to them and telling them that they're smoking crack with a, you know, tobacco pipe, if that's what you want me to call it. No, I call it a crack pipe because that's what you're using to smoke crack with because you're addicted to crack. And here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how we're going to help you. Here's what we need to do. That is moral. That is how to fix the situation. Sitting there in a in a city council meeting trying to trying to tell everybody that you're better than them because you're going to avoid using the word addict to describe the addiction problem in your in your city does nothing to solve the problem. And since you delivered it like <laughs> and since you were able to deliver it like a complete moron, you did more harm than good in the situation. Maybe prepare your statements in advance so you can sound a little bit more eloquent, so you can, you know, come with a little bit more passion. Maybe try not having to read the definition of a word off of your phone in front of everybody when you're stumbling and stammering and stuttering over the words because you haven't, you know, given it any thought or practice. How about you prepare for your job instead of going around telling everybody that you're so proud to be the first hashtag Afro-Latina ever elected to the Boston City Council. My goodness, what a joke that lady is. And I'm sorry, Councilor Mejia, you have earned yourself one big, fat, classic. Come on, man. And that's our show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. We had a blast doing this one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And remember, please give us a follow. Give us a five-star review and uh, tell a friend about us. Until next week, uh, my name is Brian Ruka. That is the Truth Box, Juice Manzada over there. And we've got nothing else to say to you except thanks for having us. The Right and Wrong Show is produced by Juice. Executive producer, Juice. Audio mixer is Juice. Hair by Skull Shavers. Wardrobe and makeup by Ashley Ruka. Right and Wrong Song created by Juice. The Right and Wrong Show is copyright 2022 from Brian Ruka.